Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were the foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstones? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I want to title this message, I am a man I cannot know. You all may be seated. I will admit that this will be a little heavy-handed with teaching at the beginning. I believe that we should all be a biblically literate church and that every one of us are intelligent, scholar-in-the-making, disciple-makers who have a desire to learn more about the deep things of the Word of God. So, let's get started. The book of Job is one of the most mysterious books in the Bible. We don't know who the author is, though there is plenty of speculation among scholarship. We don't know when it was written, Some suspect during the patriarchal period around the time of Abraham, while others suspect sometime during the early 4th century BCE after Esther. My personal opinion, if you want to know it, is somewhere around the early 5th century, late 4th century, a little bit before the time of Esther. Now that is when most scholars believe that the book was written because of the language that is used. Though it's not when the story was created. The story of Job hints very heavily at the pre-patriarchal age, before Father Abraham and before Israel, and it was most likely, as most stories in the ancient Near East were, an oral tradition. Now, the ancient Near East is a term used to describe the location of most of the early civilizations. This would include Israel, as well as Canaan, Philistia, and later Babylon and Persia. So now when you hear the words ancient Near East, or A-N-E is the abbreviated, You can puff your chest out because you now know what that means. Some evidence for this is that Job lived a very long time. After all the events within the book of Job, after all the trials and the problems he went through, the Bible says that Job lived an additional 140 years. His wealth was measured in flocks, not in any gold or monetary value, and there is no mention of any covenantal agreement between God and man. So all these things point to us seeing that Job is a pre-patriarchal book, or story, not book. All this to say that Job is a very old book, but is still very real. Now, there are scholars who try to debunk the book of Job as nothing more than mysticism and fables. These scholars use the information that I just gave you to try to counter it with the book that sits in the Bible today. Now, it is true that the book of Job was written later than its story's conception, And what this means is that the story did happen a long time ago and then was later written down and added upon. But the purpose that the book serves is still necessary and inspired by God. Rabbinical tradition adopted the book of Job in its entirety long before the New Testament. And that's before Paul wrote that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we can prove that Job, through its own scripture, is in the Bible. It's, It's meant to be there. So if any New Age scholar tries to tell you that the book of Job is not true... You look in the eye, and you tell them a 20-year-old Bible college student told you otherwise. I say all this to better your understanding of the book of Job, though we've barely scratched the surface. 
But if you truly listen to what I said, there's still much we do not know. The whole purpose of the book is to answer the problem of suffering that is in the world. This is the whole point. We can understand the magnitude that is God and the order that he has set forth in creation. When faced with the sovereignty, we must be like Job when he responded in chapter 42. I'll read that briefly for you. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I have spouted nonsense about the things that I barely know. I have done exactly what Job and his friends have done. When they debated throughout the entire book whether Job had sinned or not or whether God was good or not, it's a constant back and forth between them that is ultimately broken up by the only one who actually does know. God speaks up in chapter 38. He is perplexed by what he hears. And he tells Job, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who speaks when he's got no idea what he's saying? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. God asked Job where he was when he created the world. He asked him to call forth lightning and to tell about the storehouses of snow and hail that are kept in heaven. He asked Job if he can tame the leviathan of the deep waters or even speak to the waters, commanding them where they can and cannot go. Today I ask you and myself these same questions. Where were you when God joined the day and night, when angels rejoiced at creation's sight? Can you bind the constellations under your will or even make the tempestuous waters stand still? Can you stand tall with your mask of a know-it-all or will you be like Job and answer, I am a man, I cannot know it all? If you all bow your heads with me as listen to Mary gets up here to preach. Lord, we trust in you. We know that you have the final say, that you know all, that you are the only one who knows all. We praise you and we thank you for your omniscience. And though that suffering may come and pain may come, that you have it all together. We praise and we worship you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man. That was more about the book of Job than I've learned in my entire life in five minutes, man. Brother Cameron, thank you, Brother Cameron, for that. Man, thank you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, the book of Ezra, chapter number 3. Thank you again, Brother Cameron Barry, for speaking to us tonight. But the book of Ezra, chapter number 3. Uh, if you've been around here for the last couple of years uh, at, this, at this church, you know that we've talked about um, kind of this story and this narrative about Nehemiah returning to rebuild. And so we are going to talk a little bit about this tonight. Ezra 3, verse number 10, it states, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priest and their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, the king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, and His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people, let me hear you say, all the people gave a great Shout, not a little shout, but a great shout. Uh, and I, when I when I'm 
read this, I, I think of a great shout of all the children of Israel being back in their land after being taken from it. But here it says, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, but many of the older priests and the Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. While many others shouted for joy, no one could distinguish the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people had made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Tonight, for just a few moments, I would like to preach to us the voices. The voices. How many have that one voice in your life that can twist your arm into doing something that you probably shouldn't do, such as getting off your diet? Anybody got one of those in your life? Or if you never go on a diet like myself, it just works out that way. You don't have to worry about that. But we've all got that one person that just knows that an Andy's peanut butter sundae with extra peanut butter does not matter what day of the week. It doesn't matter if you're on a fast or not. But if they tempt you with it, they know how to put it in a way where you'll break that fast just like that. Or you'll break that diet just like that. And uh, you don't need to look at anybody. You don't need to point fingers if that's your spouse here tonight. However, my wife and I were having this conversation. And she's been cutting out dessert, and I have not. And she said, I'm like, well, I've been doing a great job of not offering you dessert, but when I eat dessert, you always tell me, where's yours? And I'm like, she's like, yeah, but you shouldn't be eating it around me. So we have this conversation back and forth, and so recently... We were talking about it. She's like, well, just stop offering. And I'm like, you got it. No more offering of dessert. And Vienna looks at me and she says, well, what about me? I'm always up for dessert. And so there's these voices that we hear that sometimes they're good influences and sometimes they're not so good influences. We probably also have that one voice in our life where anytime we talk to them or talk with them or have a conversation, a meal with them, we feel so much better and we want to do better and we want to experience greater things in life and they challenge us. However, there are many voices that are pulling for our attention. The voices of the enemy, the voices of the world, the voices of culture, the voices of our parents, your friends, your co-workers, your pastor, and there are voices that are pulling for each and every one of us to do something. Whether or not we do what the voices could be telling us. If our friends are telling us, hey, you need to get healthy, hopefully we're listening to those. If our voices, uh, as Brother Cameron talked about tonight, Job's friends probably weren't the greatest influence, but these voices were there on a regular basis. And the voices that we allow into our lives. And I'm not talking about the voices that are in our head or the, those any kind of creepy thing or anything. I'm just talking about people that we come in contact, relational voices. But the closer that you get to God, the louder that some of those voices can get. If it's the voice of the enemy as you make a move to God, he's going to try and bring you back to the place where you once were. But as you're making that same move for God, it's the voice of your pastor. It's the voice of your spiritual leader and authority that's reaching for you and saying, we, come further, come on, keep, keep moving, keep moving towards God because there's great things that are in store. However, that every time that we make that move, there is always going to be a voice that is pulling for you. For some of us tonight, there are certain voices that have more weight than others. But tonight I believe that 
God has given me a word to help distinguish what the voices are hearing that we're hearing and how to better our lives and how to draw closer to God by listening to God's voice. There is victory that comes by allowing the right voice in your life. There is blessings that come by allowing the right voices in your life. There can also be curses. There can also be things that lead us down a path. However, our text chapter is a narrative that follows. Nehemiah has come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and the temple. And there is much negotiating that took place to do this, but he had the favor of God on his life. What struck me is this, that Nehemiah had a word from God which superseded the word and the voice of man. When the word from man goes contrary to the word of God, it should automatically raise a red flag in our lives. If what God is saying and what God's word is telling us to do, and it's so perfect for the culture that we live in, this is a countercultural book. Most of what society is doing this day these days is completely opposite of what God, in fact, told his church and his bride to live like. And so here Nehemiah is, and he says that, you know what, I've got a word from God, and I'm going to stand on it. And what we come into life with, where we live on a daily basis, is this. We will get a word from God. Anybody ever received a word from God, a promise, a, a prophetic word, or anything along those lines? Yeah. And if it doesn't come to pass right away, what tends to happen? We tend to either forget it or say that that wasn't God. Or we hold on to that word and we say, God, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm still holding on. And again, I know I've referenced it several times recently, but that message that Pastor Justin preached about God bringing to remembrance the things in our lives that's a powerful word because there are moments in the valley where God will bring a word to you that you remember and you say, if I could just, I, I remember that there was a prophetic calling. I remember that God spoke things and I remember that there was victory. I remember that there was blessing. But in the valley, sometimes it's hard to see that. And so those voices we allow can either dictate future success or future failure. And so Nehemiah is here and in this moment, and I believe that there are three voices that we hear on a daily basis. And I understand that what I'm about to talk about is, can be tough for some of us. But I believe on the other side of this tonight is God wants to bring some of us out of our past and out of past mistakes. Number one, the first voice that we hear is doubt, fear, and anxiety. Nehemiah chapter number 2 states when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite and official and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you're doing, they asked, and are you rebelling against the king? And it continues on and it states, in Nehemiah chapter 4, it states, When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates of the, in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox could climb up and break down the walls 
their wall of stones. Their words were hurtful. They mocked them. They abused them verbally. They told them that it wouldn't work. How could you? You're stupid in believing in that leader. You're stupid in doing what you're doing. But the voice of the enemy always starts and sows his seed through doubt, through fear, and through anxiety. It is one of the loudest voices that we're hearing in this day, in this age. And I've come to tell somebody tonight, as Brother Nick Mahaney talked about, we don't have to give place to fear anymore, but we don't have to listen to the voice of the enemy when the fear, when the anxiety, when doubt steps in. Because on his word are the promises of God the reason that it's the easiest the reason being is this is the easiest to control the enemy knows that without a doubt every single person wants the ability to be liked to be respected and to be loved and to be acknowledged and affirmed but when all of those are stripped away things can get dicey and Nehemiah is here in this moment in Sanballat and Tobiah are standing there and they're ridiculing the church. They're ridiculing the people of God saying, how could you do this? Why would you allow this? And why would you follow this man? The foxes are going to be able to jump up over your wall, which means the enemy is going to come in easily. But here they are standing in the midst of the criticism, standing in the midst of the doubt, standing in the midst of the fear and anxiety. And on the other side of this is God wanting to do something special and to return them and to begin to bless them so that they could worship freely. Whenever the enemy comes in, it's always led with doubt. Did I hear the voice of God? Did I hear really what God had in store for my life? Were those things really something that was spoken over me in the altar? Did I make that up? Was there any way that God could really speak to me or God could really partner with me? Is there any way that the things that I felt in the moment when I was praying, when I was seeking God, when I was on the mountaintop and I'm here in the valley, God, was that really you? And the enemy begins to turn that doubt into fear. Well, God, if you're not answering my prayer, why am I here all alone and all of the sudden Nehemiah and the children of Israel are sitting there. They're trying their best to rebuild the wall. They're trying their best to rebuild the temple. And here the enemy is coming after them and saying, if I can just sow a little bit of doubt, they'll begin to doubt Nehemiah. They'll begin to doubt the call of God. They'll begin to doubt the things that God is trying to do in their life. And when the enemy comes in, he brings that doubt and he begins to work on us day and night, which then leads to the fear, which then leads to the anxiety. And I want to tell somebody tonight, you don't have to live with the doubt of the enemy in your ear. You can step out and say, greater is he that is in me, but I know in what I believe. I know in who I have believed. And Nehemiah hears this voice of doubt, of fear, and anxiety. And he says, you know what, we're going to continue to do what we've been called to do. This generation, the world that we live in, though, we have influencers, you've ever seen an influencer online, you know how they live. They, they tell people what to buy, they show people what looks good, and people go out and they have to have it. However, in this narrative that we were reading tonight, the influencers were trying to convince the children of Israel that this was not the plan of God. Why? 
They did not want the children of Israel to succeed. They did not want God's will to be accomplished. But I believe tonight that God has stepped into this room and through the praise and through the worship that's already happened and what God is trying to say is that you can believe for it. You can step into that place where you've prayed that prayer, Sister Andrea, you talked about and God is saying if you can trust me one more time, on the other side of that is restoration. On the other side of that is the miracle that you've been seeking. On the other side of that, cast the voices of the enemy out. But let me just stop here and just let me make a statement. We need every single person to pick up the sword and to pick up the trowel like they did in this story where they said at all costs we're going to be sold out. We're going to be all in. We're going to continue to defend, but we're going to continue to work. And what the enemy is trying to do, if he can get us to stop defending, the enemy can come in. But if he can get us to stop working, then we're not really doing with the will of God in our life. But I've come to tell somebody tonight that when the voice of the enemy reaches in with doubt and with fear and anxiety, let me just tell you, that the Bible states that perfect love casts out all fear. Let me just tell you, we do not serve a God of chaos, but we serve a God of peace and of order. The first voice is is doubt, fear, and anxiety. The second voice that we hear is our past. But many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid. The voice of your past can be the toughest voice to overcome. Now, I remember when I was in high school, um, I was not a grade A student. (laughs) Thank you, Pastor Justin. All the grade A students, let me see, raise your hand if if you were a straight A. All right, all right. About who I expected, all right. All of you that were the C's and D's get degrees. Let me see you raise your hands. All right, yeah. <laughs> but I did not, I, 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 was not fa- in fa- I was not fascinated with high school. I enjoyed basketball. I enjoyed soccer. I enjoyed the social element of high school, but I did not enjoy actual schoolwork. And um, later on in life, I realized <laughs> probably should have paid a little bit more attention. When you go to take an SAT class and uh, they're like asking what would be simple questions to probably everybody else in this room, and I'm sitting there saying, I, I, I didn't know this was a yes or no question. I thought we had multiple choice. And so there are times when I look back on my past in high school and I'm like, man, uh, wasn't my greatest part of life. However, for some of us, our past goes a little bit deeper than not getting good grades. For some of us, there are hang-ups, there are mistakes, there are things that plague us where we're sitting there and we're saying, God, I remember so vividly all of the things that I did. I remember all of the times that I fell short. I remember all of the times that I let you down. And the enemy will use the voice of your past regularly. The enemy will speak to some of you And will come to you when you're feeling at your lowest and begin to remind you of things that have happened to you and things that you've allowed to happen in your life. And here we are, the mistakes, the hurt, the pain, the hang-ups. It cries out, you're not good enough. There's no way that God would want to work with you. There's no way that God would want to partner with you. You won't ever go back to the way that things used to be. 
Because on the other side of that past could be the person that used to have a thriving relationship with God where they used to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind and all their strength. But they're not where they want to be in this place tonight. And I've come to tell you that the enemy has built up this lie where we believe that we'll never get back to where we used to be. I'll never be able to feel God like I used to feel Him. I'll never be able to worship with the freedom that I used to worship. But let me just stop here and speak into to your life tonight that the enemy is a liar and that God can take you further than where you've ever been don't get me wrong there may be some consequences from past mistakes but God can reach down and begin to shift the atmosphere in your life and begin to say you know what the things that you used to experience those were great but I want to take you even further I want you to have a prayer life like you've never had before I want you to fast like you've never fasted before I want you to get in the word and let it become alive like it never has before and nothing pains me more than when I talk to people and everything is oh that's not the way that it used to be that's not the way that it used to be and let me just tell some people tonight that the things of old they used to be maybe they were great maybe they weren't I don't know where you're at tonight but I wonder if someone could get a fresh vision of Calvary and say things that either were good or things that were bad but here I am at the foot of Calvary saying Jesus I want to go further I want my life to matter I want your voice to be the only voice that I listen to God I want your voice to be the voice of my life as the musicians come tonight Jonah lost the voice of God the word of the word of the Lord had come to Jonah but now God was speaking to Jonah through the sea and through the storm and then through a great fish Samson lost the voice of God when Samson's hair was cut, we are told he got up, shook himself as before, and went out not knowing that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. And here he was, relying on the help of a young man. And the story I understand of Samson is one of redemption. I understand that. But he lost the voice of God, and he listened to the voice of the enemy. But in Ezra 3 and 12, it states this. States this the word they cried, it means to weep in humiliation. Their past was greater than the presence because they had remembered the walls of old. They had remembered the temple of old. But God is calling for some of us to say that the past is there for a reason, but it's time to live where God has called us to walk into our prophetic destiny. The final voice that we hear, however, is this. It's the voice of triumph. You see, it's time for us to realize why we may be able to feel the doubt and we may feel the fear and we may feel the anxiety and we may have our past chirping at us. But the very next voice that we hear is the voice of triumph. What I find so interesting in this narrative is that the older generation was weeping over the way things used to be. And it was those who didn't know the things of old that were there, but they were just happy to have a place to worship all over again with how, with how they wanted to worship. Why? And I believe it's this reason tonight, that if we allow the past to grip us, if the best days of the church are behind us, we will never walk in the prophetic destiny that God has for us. 
I do not believe that the greatest miracles at the Life Church are of yesteryear, but I believe the greatest miracles of the Life Church are still to be seen. I believe that the greatest financial blessing of this church is not in the past, but I believe that we are still yet to see the greatest financial blessings in this church. I believe that it takes every single generation. It takes the elders. It takes the young people. And it takes everybody in between. Because when the voice of the Lord steps in, He says, you know what? You may have experienced some hurt. You may have experienced some fear, some failure, and some mess-ups. But when the voice of the Lord steps in, He says, all right, the sins are as far as the east is from the west. I don't remember those things when you have repented. And I've come to encourage somebody tonight that the voice of triumph is reaching for you tonight to pull you into a deeper walk in relationship with God, to pull you further than you've ever gone because your greatest days are not behind you. As we stand all across this room tonight, I'm submitting you to, to you tonight that each and every one of us have a role to play in the end time revival here at the Life Church where we need every single person with a sword and we need every single person with a trowel. And what God is reaching for is to strip away the voice of the enemy. Let Sanballat and Tobiah live in it and their complete failures. But let the church of the living God walk into their prophetic destiny where we say, God, I'm going to worship you how you want me to. I'm going to seek you how you want me to because your voice is the only one that matters. However, this is what I love, is that if it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. The word shout in verse number 12 is the same word in 1 Samuel 4 that described when the ark of the Lord's covenant came into all of Israel that they raised such a shout that the ground shook. It was a groundbreaking voice of triumph and I want to let somebody know tonight that perhaps the triumph that you're waiting for is one shout away. You see, they were bringing back the ark and they were saying, we're going to worship, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to praise. And their shout was so loud that it shook the ground. And what some of you have been praying and some of you have been fasting for is just one shout away where it shakes your very atmosphere. But this is my favorite part of the story because the word that is used to describe afar off means a place in time. Not a location, but a place in time. And why that is important is this, is that your voice of triumph is one that can echo throughout the days and throughout the weeks so that your voice, your triumph can be the very thing that reaches somebody days or weeks or years from now. You want to know what's going to be when prodigals begin to return home? It's a voice of triumph that reaches for them in a moment in time, in a space in time where they're sitting there and saying, hey, wait, I felt a prayer on a Wednesday night. I don't understand it. I don't know how it happened, but I felt somebody reaching. I felt somebody worshiping for me.
to know how we're going to see the miracles in the future. It starts with a voice of triumph that reaches into the future and begins to say, I'm sowing seed, I'm planting, I'm praying, and I'm believing. This means a place in time. And if we want to see God move and truly begin to restore and to see the voice of triumph begin to do what it can do, I want to encourage somebody tonight to step out and come down to this altar with the voice of triumph and say, God, I'm not praying a prayer for right now. It may be for tomorrow. It may be for the next week. It may be for next year. But God, I'm going to have a moment in time right now where this prayer can reach into the future. what they were building would be the very place that Jesus himself would come to visit. It was no longer just the Holy of Holies, but it would be Jesus, God in the flesh that would walk through this tabernacle, that would walk through these streets. And what we're doing is we're preparing ourselves for the revival that God wants to bring, for the disciples that God wants to make, and for the things of God. Come on, let's just lift our hands all across this room right now. God's about to burst this place wide open. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.